Hello there and welcome along to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined by Ida Waringa in Nairobi, Kenya, and by Stuart Weir in the UK. And on this week's show, we speak to Liverpool legend Ian Rush, winner of five league titles with the Reds and two European titles. Rush gives us his thoughts on the African players in the current Liverpool squad. No, I'm maybe a bit biased because I like strikers and all that. No, there's been quite a few, you know, Van Dijk, Henderson, but I think Mane's been fantastic. That's coming up shortly. Plus, Stuart looks ahead to the weekend's FA Cup quarterfinals. And big, big congratulations to all Liverpool fans. Finally, the English Premier League champions after Chelsea beat Manchester City on Thursday night. It's the title at last for you, Red supporters. Well, first of all, uh, earlier this week, the Confederation of African Football released a 27-page document with recommendations for football associations to follow for the game to resume in their countries. The document looks at the training methods for players to get back to fitness and the suggested sanitary requirements for football to resume. It says that the players must be protected and insured, and recommends much of what we're seeing in the English Premier League and in the Spanish La Liga. No spectators, masks for those on the bench, disinfecting of balls and so on, and that players should have COVID-19 tests 72 hours before every match and soon after each game, and that money should be made available to the football federations for these tests without specifying where it exactly the money will come from. And something that's not there in Europe, a recommendation that all teams should gather in one city until the end of the championship. Now, these are not rules, but they're recommendations. Football has resumed in Burundi and in Tanzania without following many of those guidelines. But uh, how practical are these recommendations for other countries, Ida? Well, it's really not practical, is it, Steve? I mean, what's needed from CAF as well is a proper way forward in terms of African football, maybe for the next year or so. And yes, you've mentioned Burundi and Tanzania there. Well, uh, football in Burundi barely stopped (laughs) as it was actually one of the few countries in the world where the game continued well into the pandemic. Um, And as for Tanzania, well, interestingly enough, I spoke to the Simba CEO, um, of course, huge club with huge financial success and support, something that, to be honest, is quite uncommon on this side. Well, they've had some really interesting and novel ways of dealing with uh, resumption of the league, which, by the way, Steve, has happened with fans present at the game. Um, so, for example, all Simba players initially were tested and then put up at a hotel where they would train, leave for the game and then go back to the hotel and get sanitized. That's how it was looking for the team at the start of the resumption a couple of weeks ago. But you look at it practically and you have to ask yourself, how many clubs in Africa, Steve, have those sorts of resources, you know? And in North Africa, well, football is resuming as well, though amidst lots of controversy. But (laughs) really, what else is new, you know? And uh, with COVID-19 cases bordering 60,000, Steve, in Egypt, the top tier will resume on July 25th. Though some teams, such as Amalek, have already withdrawn from the top tier, you know, citing health reasons. But some are speculating that it's because they are 19 points adrift of current league leaders, Al-Ali. Well, it's all speculation. 
But football will also resume in Morocco. That will be a day before it does so in Egypt. But as for CAF, Steve, look, let's also not forget that we still don't know when the CAF Champions League, the Confederation Cup semifinals will be held. We still don't have the way forward on the Afghan qualifiers or the actual Nations Cup itself. And of course, absolutely nothing, and this one pains me in particular, absolutely nothing on the Women's Africa Cup of Nations. So that's the sort of direction needed, more specific direction and maybe less recommendations. Yes, so a few countries seem to be getting ready to resume, South Africa and Zambia among them, but most are not there yet. Very interesting to see FIFA announcing details on Thursday evening of their COVID-19 relief plan, approving a third stage with a grant of a million US dollars to be made available to all member associations, plus another half a million US dollars specifically for women's football, plus member associations can apply for interest-free loans. So this uh, surely will help uh, with the return of football in many countries. Uh, We'll see how that is going to go because the grants and the loans can be used by the football associations to direct them towards clubs, players, leagues or others who have been affected. Uh, So uh, that could be a major development. Well, thanks, Ida. Now, next here on Planet Sport Football Africa, Ida's been speaking to a Liverpool legend, Ian Rush, winner of five league titles with the Reds and two European titles. Rush is still Liverpool's all-time top scorer with 346 goals in all competitions. He played for the Reds from 1980 up to 1996, in that time spending one season in Italy with Juventus, a disappointing stay with him scoring 14 goals. He was part of the team that won the league for Liverpool in 1990. Now, Ida asked Rush about the African players in the Liverpool squad. Firstly, Divock Origi. Well, he's Belgian, but his dad was a Kenya international, and Origi had a big hand in Liverpool's famous comeback against Barcelona in the Champions League semi-finals last year, scoring twice in their 4-0 second-leg win. I think Origi's a fantastic player. Uh, I think... Uh, I think that's the difference between Liverpool maybe four years ago to uh, Liverpool now, where you know, uh, I think Ricky was at Liverpool five, six years ago. He'd be automatic into that team. And the team is so strong now that he's not an automatic in this team. But one thing he has, he comes on and makes, makes a major impact in the game. He won, um, even last year, he was coming on scoring goals in the, in the Premier League. And uh, he, for, that, uh, to, for that goal, it's the best comeback I have ever seen at Anfield. You know, and uh, it was absolutely amazing. You know, when the ball boy gives it to Trent, Trent takes a quick one, and Riggy was too quick there, and you no, know, 4-0. And even to the last minute there, you're thinking, if Barcelona score, Liverpool are out. Um, when you've got Messi in the team, you know, when you've got Suarez in the team, they can score at any time, you know. So um, to get that result, it's the best comeback and uh, a lot of things. And again, Riggy scores in the final as well, you know. So this is what, this is what it's all about, and... I think um, Riggy is a, is a special player, and uh, I'm, I'm glad that he's at Liverpool. Even though he thinks he might be might want to play more, but I think uh, the way Jurgen Klopp looks after him and and the way he responds to that uh, only shows that he's a very very top class professional. And of course, lots of focus on uh, the African stars within Liverpool. Lots of global focus. Your thoughts, Ian, on the current crop? Well, I think for Liverpool, I think. Uh, and you start with Manny. Now, Manny, for me, is most probably the player of the season uh, this year. I think he's been fantastic. Uh, 
No, I, I'm maybe a bit biased because I like strikers and all that. No, there's been quite a few, you know, Van Dijk, Henderson, but I think Mane's been fantastic. Um, the way he plays with Salah, you know, you've got Salah there, he's a, uh, them two, and Yofamino as well, like obviously South American, but I think Salah and Mane, defenders must be frightened when they see their names on the team sheet. You know, the, Salah's been absolutely fantastic as well, um, amazing and, they're a joy to watch. That's what I can say. They're one of them where Liverpool supporters, they're a joy to watch. And that's what it's all about. Uh, growing up, their supporters go, I've seen Mane play, you know, I've seen Salah play, you know, they got Riggy. And they, I was talking before when I was in Italy, you know, you got Naby, no, Keita. He come, it took me six or seven months of that in Italy. And I think that's the same happened to Naby. I think he's maybe took a bit longer to adapt than maybe th- people thought he was. And, and he's had a few injuries as well, which hasn't helped. So I think he's well. This I think this time now I think he come out and um, you know, he, he's, I see he scored a, a goal in the, just the other day. You know when they have a practice game, he scored a goal. You can see he's getting back to full fitness and a fully fit Cater. I'll tell you now, um, we'll, we'll get into Liverpool's team because he's that quality. And I think Liverpool are, are blessed to have um, you know, the, these uh, four sort of you know, African players who've come and they're producing the top class football for Liverpool Football Club, and that's what I'm happy about. So that's Liverpool legend Ian Rush speaking to Ida. And interesting comments, Ida, on Divock Origi. Also that he rates Naby Keita very highly. Right. I mean, the legend really opened up and he empathized with Keita because it's been about a year of injury after injury for the player. Because if you remember, Steve, it was about a year ago when the Guinea national team and Liverpool were fighting over him during the Nations Cup. And Rush actually compared his time at Juventus to a bit of what Keita has gone through with the Reds, you know, just in terms of um, taking time to adjust to a new team. But as you've heard him say there as well, I mean, a fully fit Keita is absolute A1 material. And despite that draw at Everton, he did show a bit of metal. In what was just his fifth Premier League start this season, we saw him then come on as a sub during Liverpool's amazing 4-0 win over Crystal Palace. So maybe more of that to come. Uh, but I'm sure at the same time, as you've seen, Klopp will want to take him a bit slowly. So just going back to Rush, many people say that, of course, he didn't quite fit in too well at Juventus, you know, hence him spending just a year there. And of course, going by Ian Rush standards, then it might definitely be the case. But Steve, of those 14 goals he scored, he actually just fell seven short of Maradona, Maradona who had spent quite some time at Napoli by then. And while Maradona did have a couple of penalties to push his tally to 21 that season, all of Russia's were scored from open play. So I think that that was something in and of itself, and especially for a debut season. But back to the African players. Well, he did heap a lot of praise on Origi, who, of course, is Belgian, but both his parents are Kenyan. And the player, every once in a while, comes to vacation in the East African country. And similar to Keita, Origi has also started just five times for Liverpool this season so far in um, 22 appearances. As for Mane and Salah, well, (laughs) I mean, it just speaks for itself, doesn't it? Uh, Because Rush was very open in the fact that Mane has been so far ahead of everyone else this season. But of course, there's no taking away from Salah's achievements. All in all, Steve, it was a great conversation with the EPL and Liverpool legend. I mean, he did reveal quite a bit. He was actually 
um, the first European football athlete to be signed by Nike. That was back in 1982. You know, shooting adverts with the likes of Michael Jordan. I mean, true pioneers in their own right. So it was quite an eye-opening conversation. And I was absolutely delighted to sit down with such a legend. Yeah, huge name and great to get a chance to hear from Ian Rush. And as Stuart, comparisons are very difficult, but uh, fascinating at the same time. So how would you compare the Liverpool of the 70s and 80s with Ian Rush among their big stars with this current red side that's taking the league after a 30-year wait? Um, Steve, just before I get into the question, uh, it was great to hear Ian Rush, a real Liverpool legend, scored 229 league goals. And, you know, I once saw him play for Wales against Germany, the reigning world champions, In 1991, and incredibly, Wales won 1-0 and Rush scored. Wales were outplayed, created one chance in the game. It fell to Rush and he took it. As you say, it's very hard to compare teams from one era to the next. Liverpool have been magnificent last season and again this season. Last season they won the Champions League and only lost the Premier League by one point. And I mean, compare that Liverpool side with the one from the past though. You have to say that in the period, say, 77 to 84, Liverpool won the first division title five times, the European Cup four times. That was, of course, the Premier League and the Champions League, as we would now call it. And I know I'm showing my age, Steve, if I tell you that I was actually at Wembley in 1978 to see Liverpool win one of those European Cup finals. So honestly, to make a fair comparison, you would need to wait five or six years and just see whether the current Liverpool side can continue to win trophies during that period. But it's hard to prove this, but I suspect that the Manchester City team that Liverpool have frankly left in their wake this season would be a lot stronger than some of the opposition that Liverpool had during that golden seven-year period. Of course, you can only beat the teams who were around at the time, and Liverpool were champions five times. Now, interestingly, Graeme Souness who was in that Liverpool team in the 70s and 80s, was asked last week to select the best 11 players from his team and the current team. And there are some interesting comments that he made. And he said that he was a huge admirer of Virgil van Dijk, but he wasn't convinced that van Dijk would have got into his team because Alan Hansen and Mark Lawrenson were probably just as good, if not better. And again, he said, with a strike partnership of Ian Rush and Kenny Dalglish, he thought that only one of Roberto Firmino, Mo Salah and Sergio Mane would have made it into his team. Of course, it's only an opinion, and there's no way we can prove him right or wrong, but quite interesting stuff. So, Steve, my answer is, ask me again in five years, when we've had time to see whether the current Liverpool side can keep the momentum going. Uh, we'll do that then. Uh, thanks, Stuart, and uh, do stay with us. This is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. And still to come, Stuart, on the criticism that Manchester United goalkeeper David De Gea has been receiving. You can follow us on Twitter at Planet Sport FA. You can download our app and listen to the show anytime and access past programs in our archive as well. Uh, to download, go to the Play Store or the Apple iTunes App Store and enter Planet Sport Football Africa. You can also listen on our New Look website, that's planetsport.tv. You can read interviews there with various sports stars, including Sierra Leone's Umaru Bangura, Ghana's Christian Achu, and Zambia's Patson Daka. That's on our New Look website, planetsport.tv.
Let's go to social media now. And on last week's show, we had a feature from Cameroon, as at this time, 30 years ago, the 1990 World Cup was on in Italy. This was a huge breakthrough tournament for Africa, as Cameroon stunned the defending champions Argentina 1-0 in the opening game and went all the way to the quarterfinals. But 30 years later, no African team has taken it further and got to the semis of the World Cup, while Cameroon themselves have had many disappointing campaigns. So last week we asked, why have the Indomitable Lions failed to fulfil the potential of 1990? Here's Planet Sport Football Africa's Adrian Barnard. Thanks, and Steve. And we start today on WhatsApp with Jata Samba in the Gambia, who says, "Well, I think that year, 1990, was a great year for the Indomitable Lions. That team was their best, or one of their best ever teams. And so, for the past few years, they found things so hard. But at this point in time, they do have a good team, and I believe they can turn things around." But Alfred Mdimba in Malawi isn't so sure. In the 1990s, many African nations had more passion for football, and the selection of players for the national team was based on merit, unlike what we see today with nepotism, tribalism, regionalism, and corruption. Says Alfred. Meanwhile, Abdul Aziz Bojang in the Gambia believes there's a different reason. As we all know, says Abdul, football changes in Europe and other parts of the world faster than in Africa, and that's been the case here. A lot of African countries can't adapt quick enough to join this football system. If you look at the World Cup now, every edition there are some changes to certain football rules, and African countries generally are very slow in adapting to the new football systems, says Abdul. Jeffrey in Uganda offers another perspective. The African football dilemma goes beyond what we see on the pitches, says Jeffrey, from governments failing to adequately support federations but instead playing cheap politics to a lack of commitment from the players themselves. Cameroon is no different from all the other African countries, as we've seen and heard many of them threatening boycotts during tournaments with demands for pay. Why is it that in so many foreign leagues, African players are key players in their respective clubs, but when it comes to national duty, then they start demanding unicorns? Yes, strong feelings there from Jeffrey, and、uh, another correspondent who also feels strongly on this is Biswak and Jaqua from Malawi. This question is a soul search, not only for Cameroon but also for Africa as a whole, says Biswak. I've seen football going down, and Africa is not spared. For example, the way the likes of Samuel Eto'o were playing at his peak, you can't compare it with any in the squad today. The players in the Cameroon squad in 1990 were playing for the pride of their nation, not for money, as seems to be the case now. Today, players are too selfish before they reach the peak of their career, and as a result, they fail to do the needful. If you see African players featured in the EPL every weekend, you can only see the few who are talented. The rest are just full of pride for nothing. The Cameroon Football Association needs to sit down and learn from history. They should swallow their pride and start doing the right things again, says Biswak. On the other hand, Al Hagi in the Gambia is a little bit more pragmatic. In football, you don't always get what you wish for," says Al Hagi. "But Cameroon still has a great team. 
Noble Botamani in Malawi believes there's one particular factor that makes all the difference. Maybe experience matters, says Noble. And that same point is picked up by Lamine Jaju in The Gambia. I think it's down to a lack of experience from the coach and some players, and a lack of strength and fitness from some of the players, says Lamine. Belong Baji, also in the Gambia, goes further. In 1990, Cameroon's intensity and man-to-man marking gave them the edge, says Belong. But afterwards, there was a lack of organisation, and they were not able to learn from their mistakes. And finally, Malang Sambu in Italy reiterates a couple of points that others have already mentioned today. I think, says Malang, that Cameroon have failed to move on from their 1990 potential due to poor football management, which is affecting many African countries. The football management needs people who love football, who are ready to sacrifice for their country and ready to stay away from corruption. So then, Steve, I think what strikes me from this is that while we have uh, several suggestions here to explain what's gone wrong for the indomitable Lions, there's actually a bigger picture here that goes wider than just Cameroon to the underlying issues and challenges that are affecting the whole of the continent. And uh, if that's true, well, then it could be some time yet before an African country gets beyond the quarterfinals of the World Cup, let alone wins it. Yeah, sad, but probably true. Poor organisation, poor management, players not giving their all for their national teams. Well, the list is pretty long. Thanks, Adrian. Thanks for all of those comments. Let's go back to our European football expert, Stuart Weir now. Liverpool taking a first English Premier League title in 30 years. Chelsea doing them a favour on Thursday night, beating Manchester City, meaning that City cannot mathematically reach Liverpool's current total of 86 points. They do meet next Thursday but Liverpool were going to that game, being crowned the champions. Well, the Reds were brilliant in their 4-0 defeat of Crystal Palace on Wednesday. There were fears at one stage they might be denied the title because of coronavirus maybe leading to the abandonment of the season. But action, of course, is back, and Liverpool are the champions. Congratulations again to all Liverpool fans. This weekend, though, the focus is on the FA Cup quarter-finals. Uh, take us through where we are there, Stuart. Well, yes, Steve, with all the emphasis on the Premier League, it's easy to forget that the FA Cup is still to be finished as well. And as you say, the quarter-finals are scheduled for the coming weekend, one game on Saturday and three on Sunday. Of course, in recent years, with qualification for the Champions League and the money that that generates being so important, winning the domestic cup competitions has fallen in importance. But that said, I think the eight clubs still involved in this competition know that they're only three games away from winning a trophy. Norwich City against Manchester United on Saturday evening is an intriguing tie. Norwich are sadly odds-on for relegation, but wouldn't they love to give their supporters something to cheer by getting to the cup final? Realistically, the FA Cup may be Manchester United's best chance of a trophy this season, so they'll be taking it seriously. Sheffield United are at home to Arsenal. Now, Sheffield United have been the surprise team of the season and with a great chance of qualifying for Europe, but think they would love to win a trophy as well. But of course, since restart, their form has been rocky with two defeats and a draw. Arsenal have had, honestly, quite a disastrous season in the league so far, so winning the FA Cup would certainly salvage something for them. Then we have Leicester City against Chelsea. That's third against fourth. 
And while, again, both clubs would be delighted to secure Champions League football next season, winning a trophy would certainly be the icing on the cake for their season. The final tie, Newcastle United at home to Manchester City. And City always take the cup seriously. And particularly this season, winning a cup, I think, has become a priority. So it would be good also for them, before the Champions League restarts, to have a trophy secured, perhaps. So there's a lot to play for and four intriguing ties. Yeah, so it sounds like uh, there's uh, going to be a lot of interest in the FA Cup this time around. And certainly for us as fans, given that uh, three-month drought, uh, we'll be watching uh, with a lot of interest. Um, now, Stuart, there's been difference of opinion over the ability of Manchester United goalkeeper David De Gea uh, as he failed to save an effort from Stephen Bergwijn in the game against Tottenham last weekend. Uh, now, the United manager Ole Gunnar Solskjaer maintains that De Gea is the best goalkeeper in the world, while former United captain Roy Keane, uh, now as a television pundit, was highly critical of De Gea for the error, saying there have been too many mistakes. Well, all keepers do make mistakes. Uh, what did you make of this, Stuart? This is a difficult one, Steve. While David De Gea was certainly at fault for the Tottenham goal, on many occasions he has saved Manchester United. But if we look at the facts, last week was De Gea's third error this season, which led to a Premier League goal. But then Jordan Pickford and Ederson have also made three fatal errors, and they would be seen among the top keepers in the league. De Gea has made seven mistakes in the last two seasons which have led to goals and that does seem too high. But what makes the situation intriguing is that Dean Henderson, the Sheffield United goalkeeper, has arguably been the best keeper in the Premier League this season. And he, of course, is a Manchester United player on loan. So some people are saying that United should recall him and sell De Gea. But going back to the Tottenham game, the goal came from three Manchester United errors, not just De Gea. Luke Shaw gave the ball away. Then Harry Maguire was at fault in giving Stephen Bergwin far too much space. Some wagon social media suggested that uh, Harry Maguire was following the government advice on social distancing too literally by staying two metres away from the man he was marking. But I don't think there'll be an instant decision on this, but the, the Dean Henderson situation does make it more intriguing. So a lot of debate around this one. Uh, now, Stuart, one thing we're noticing uh, with the return of the English Premier League, we're having water breaks uh, midway through each half. Uh, this uh, to uh, just let the players rest a bit because of this uh, hectic schedule. But uh, some interesting statistics uh, have emerged. Uh, Steve, I can reveal that Watford and Leicester players are the slowest drinkers in the Premier League. During their game, they took a total of six minutes and one second to drink their water. And Liverpool and Everton, on the other hand, managed it in three minutes, 33. You know, perhaps we could have a Premier League record for this. Brighton's Neil Mopé had an eventful return after the Premier League break. In the Seagulls game against Arsenal, he was involved in a collision with the Gunners' keeper Leno and then scored the winner in the 90th minute as Brighton completed an unusual double over Arsenal. Incidentally, this was the 13th time this season that Arsenal have been ahead in a game, but they've only won seven of the 13. And then to carry on the Mopey uh, story, in Brighton's game against Leicester, he missed a penalty. So he hasn't been out of the headlines much so far. Now, Neil Warnock has just been appointed manager of Middlesbrough in the Championship. And Warnock is 71, and this is his 18th different club 
where he's been managing, starting 39 years ago. Uh, he was most recently uh, manager of Cardiff City when they were in the Premier League. So Neil is such a character, it's great to have him involved again. Um, great to see Joe Linton scoring for Newcastle United against Sheffield United. It's not the first time he was scored, but the last one was 26 games, 301 days ago. And in the meantime, he's had 39 shots and goal without scoring. <laughs> that was a long time coming for Joe Linton. Well, thanks a lot, Stuart. Uh, that's just about it for the show for this week. But on social media, asking, are we too critical when goalkeepers make mistakes? Uh, so we talked there about the difference of opinion over the ability of Man United goalkeeper David De Gea as he made that error last weekend in the game against Tottenham. On Thursday night, Southampton goalkeeper Alex McCarthy made a terrible mistake, passing the ball straight to Arsenal's Eddie Nketiah, who got himself an easy goal. Well, all goalkeepers do make mistakes, so is it unfair to criticise them harshly when they get it wrong? Also, are there any goalkeeping errors that have really been painful for you as a supporter? You can go to our Facebook page, that's Planet Sport Football Africa, and post a comment there. Or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. Are we too critical when goalkeepers make mistakes? Well, from me, Steve Vickers in Harare, from Ida Wairinga in Nairobi, and from Stuart Weir and Adrian Barnard in the UK, thanks a lot for listening, and Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.